You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Live Different Podcast. Today, we have another amazing compilation episode. I'm really excited about it. Today's topic is business. This is going to help you get to the next level, I promise. Today's guests are Jamie Tardy from The Habits of Millionaires, Tim Sykes, a multimillionaire, philanthropist, stock trader, and media guru, Brent Bishore. My friend Brent is going to be on. He is an investor, venture capitalist, private equity guy, uh, really, really insightful dude, and Greg Roulette from Ambitious Media. He is an Emmy Award winner and part of the Celebrity Branding Agency. These are some of our top contacts in business who hopefully, after reading this, you will feel inspired, you will feel motivated, and you'll have actionable things to go out and to apply to your business or go out there and start the business that you always wanted to live. So, if you want to be part of this community, send me an email, matt at under30experiences.com because I want to add you to a super secret mailing list, Facebook group, etc. to get you in where you can actually have interaction with these types of people. Send me an email. Let me know that you want to be part of the community. Say hello. I would love to hear from you. Today we have Jamie Tardy, and Jamie is the host of the Eventual Millionaire podcast at eventualmillionaire.com, and today we just wanted to talk about what the habits are of millionaires, a very important topic here, or at least a, a very interesting uh, a very interesting one for anybody who is listening out there. What's, uh, what's going on, Jamie? Hey, Matt. Not much. How are you? Good, good. It's been a little while since we last spoke, since I was on your podcast last summer, I think. Wow, has it really been that long? Man, time flies. Yeah, you guys are you guys are cranking out episodes over there, huh? Heck yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Definitely. You I, will be too now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I'm I'm try I'm trying. It's um how how much of your time is, is spent on the podcast? I'm curious because you know, you have to you have a, a business to run also. Yeah, that's actually one of the reasons why I do podcasts because it doesn't take as long as uh, writing, even with ghostwriters and stuff like that. So I do four interviews in one day. We just bang them all out. And so it probably is between six and seven hours of just recording by the time I prep for each one. Um, but yeah, one day a month. Oh, wow, that's content. really cool. So you have four, um, you do four a month? Yep. So I do uh, once a week. We call it Millionaire Monday. My people, you know, decided that would be the great name because we put them out on Monday. So they're Millionaire Monday. So every single week we have a new interview. Oh, excellent. And so then uh, your people know when to when to tune in, when to listen, when to be when to be ready for it. That's important, huh? Definitely. It does. That consistency does make a difference. I remember one day I, I didn't have a chance or something like that to, to send it out a while back. And I got a bunch of emails going, where was it? And I sent it out Tuesday morning. They're like, that doesn't count. It's Millionaire Monday. I'm like, yeah, sorry. I have my assistant do all that now. Right. <laughs> right. Sometimes I miss it. People got upset. So having that consistency is hugely important. That is, uh, that is awesome. How does, um, I, I'm curious to know, and I guess this is relevant to habits of millionaires or anybody who is highly effective. How do, 
How does your workflow work um, with your with your assistant? I'm curious to know. Oh, we have all sorts of systems. So I have an online business manager and an assistant. Um, and so especially for the interviews, we're booked out months in advance, actually. A lot of people are like, where do you find the, the millionaires? How do you, you know, book them? Um, we're booked for, for at least the next three months or so, um, which is great <laughs> and amazing. So what we do is we actually, anybody does like an introduction for us, um, I'll send it over to, to her. She books them, you know, sends them to a schedule once calendar and they have to, there's only one day a month. So they have to, you know, go months in advance if the first three months are, are booked. Sometimes they get a little annoyed by that. Um, but then she just sends them all the information, um, that we need to, she puts it in my calendar. I don't even have any idea that all this is really happening. All I do is the intro <laughs> and that's, I'm like, thanks, here's, let me send it off to her. Um, and then, uh, she has everything in my calendar. So normal on millionaire, uh, interview days, I look at my calendar. They're usually Wednesdays. I have my whole week very, very scheduled. It's, a, it's a, usually the first Wednesday of the month. I like and, it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I run a master schedule and, and kind of go crazy on it. Um, but I do that. And so I don't even know who I'm interviewing the day of. Usually I look at my thing. Um, it's all in my Google calendar where their bio, their information, their Skype ID, all that fun stuff. And so we try and systematize as much as humanly possible, um, for everything, not just of course, millionaire interviews, but then we have a spreadsheet cause I have to do intros and outros for each one. And, uh, we have a huge spreadsheet with the metadata and all that fun stuff too. So all 200 millionaire interviews are on this huge spreadsheet, um, with everything. So thankfully we're quite organized with it all. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that makes it obviously really systematized, but it makes things, it, it frees you up to be able to work on the, the more, uh, revenue producing things in, in your business. Is that, is that right? Definitely. So when you think about these interviews that I have, so all I do is the intro and then I actually do the interview and I upload it to Dropbox. Those are really the only things I do. Um, then it goes to editing. We have an editor, um, they cut it all together. She writes, a uh, my online business manager writes up all the content around that. We have the transcript created. There's just so many pieces and parts to it. That's kind of insane, but I don't deal with it. Any of it really. They just go live on Monday automatically now, thankfully. And I do um, look at the email that goes out to my list and, and write that, help write that up, but that's that's pretty much it. So thankfully, I mean, and I used to do it all, which drove me a little bit insane, uh, but my value is not in sending it to the editor and all that fun stuff. I need to be doing the stuff that I am good at, which are interviews, right? And so trying to take everything else off my plate is huge. No, I, I, I completely agree. I definitely, um, yeah, I definitely like how your workflow is that organized. I'm trying to figure it out as I go right now. And um, obviously we have a very systematized method for that we've run under 30 CEO for the last several years with and all of our content for under 30 experiences. But it's, uh, it takes a lot of work. And lately, as of the podcast launch, I've like, I've said, man, did I sign myself up for another full-time job? And I knew that I did. <laughs> yes. And I'm supposed to be in Peru all of next month and then Ireland the next month after that. And so I'm trying to record everything uh, on the <laughs> record everything, schedule everything. And, you know, it gets a little overwhelming sometimes. <laughs> Such as entrepreneurship sometimes, huh? <laughs> but I, yes. yes, I hear you. I hear you on that. Have you? So you have obviously had so many 
solid conversations with with people who have been in these situations before and um, it, it sounds like you have really worked hard to uh, create systems for yourself but is there anybody who uh, who you look up to who systemizes their business I got had the chance to speak uh, on the phone one time with Michael Gerber the guy that wrote the email oh, yeah. and he is incredible for anybody who doesn't know about the e-myth or the e-myth revisited his books he talks about how can you be a art artisan or someone who likes cupcakes or someone like myself who loves to travel or how can you be a podcaster and go from just person who likes to do interviews or just someone who likes to bring people on trips to a uh, very well systematized business and he uses McDonald's of course for an example because you can take any dummy off the street and have them flip burgers um, but you can also I really believe that you can teach the human element to that and scale that if you're surrounded by good people and you're doing the right type of work now I don't know that McDonald's is the right type of work that the world needs to <laughs> attract uh, happier happy healthy people to your work environment but that's another story but it is a great uh it's a great example of how you can how you can scale is there anybody who who you've talked to that has made an impact on that side of your business well it's the funny thing is my mentor when I very first started getting into business coaching like seven or eight years ago it's crazy it's been a, a while now he recommended EMF by Michael Gerber, he always recommended it to his clients and he had a lot of systems in his business. And so I could see when I sort of started working with him, I could see what worked and what didn't work and all that fun stuff, which was great. Cause then I sort of went into other businesses and you can, I mean, it's hilarious how you can see the difference between a company that's really paid attention to systems and a company that has not. <laughs> right. And just even in the stress of the owner, I mean, answering the same questions over and over was enough to drive anybody nuts. All right. Um, but being able to see the difference between the two. So some of the millionaires I've interviewed, a lot of the serial entrepreneurs that I've interviewed have been really, really great. Um, it's kind of insane because they've learned like how important, because systems, no offense, aren't all that sexy. People aren't like, woo, I get to go make systems today. You know, it's not like one of those things where um, people are super excited. People are like, I'm going to make money, <laughs> right? Exactly. Usually people are paying attention to that stuff. But the thing is, is that if you don't have the systems in place to deliver in the best possible way, then, then it's not going to be <laughs> like, it's, you're going to drop stuff. You're going to lose cash. You're going to end up having more for expenses than you probably even need to, whether it be from your own time that's leaking out of a bucket or not. Um, and so actually I interviewed, uh, what was his name? He was super cool. He, uh, ran a martial arts company and, um, it's kind of, you're like, okay, well that's cool. How much systems are there really going to be in teaching martial arts? Um, but it was really insane to be able to see how much he did. He had iPads. So when, when you'd go into register, he'd make everybody deal, deal with everything on iPads. So that way, um, all the data was already in the systems. He even had checklists for like who cleaned the toilets and who did this. And they weren't allowed to go to the next step unless they did something first. Um, oh, that's his name. His name was Corbett Miller. Um, and so he had created a whole program on systematizing. And so it was really interesting. Any business can be systematized. I mean, it's kind of insane. Um, and so again, it's not that sexy woohoo, but when I say, Hey, I don't have to touch, I do an interview. 
put it in Dropbox and not have to touch it, that's where people start to be like, oh, wait, what are you doing? What is that? How do I get into that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and it goes back to kind of the Michael Gerber e-myth uh, mentality where you want to be working on your business instead of working in your business. And this is what we're working on with Under 30 Experiences is how do we get our awesome staff to be able to run flawless trips. Liz and uh, Liz and Courtney are out in Bali right now, and I'm not there. And that is, a, a, of course, for an entrepreneur, it's a little bit scary, but uh, we just ran our set of trips to Iceland with uh, Caesar and Courtney out there, and they did great, you know, but as an entrepreneur, it's scary to kind of let go of your baby and start to work on strategy and systems rather than the, all right, how can we show, you know, I have to show up at the airport at X o'clock and take people to the national park. You know, that's what, and, and, and also this is, this is what the whole e-myth is about, right? Is how do you, uh, that's what people, generally that's what people love to do it when they start a business because I love to travel and um, I love to go to the national park and the volcanoes and glaciers in Iceland. And yeah, you know what? I really wish I was in Bali right now. It doesn't sound so bad. And, uh, <laughs> but, how, you know, you have to make that transition at some point if it's the type of business, if that's where you want your business to go. And for us, uh, we see the bigger picture that's how the travel has made such great impact on the people who have traveled with us and to, you know, and also we're starting to really focus on the social impact that we can make on our trips in the local areas. But that takes, that takes someone working on the business and how it functions and how it runs rather than me being in these locations all the time working, you know, in the core competencies of, of the business working inside of it. So yeah, yeah, I totally hear you on that. Well, and that's, what's so funny is that there's this mindset shift, right? Because there's only so much that one person can do. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like we're all like, Oh, we can do anything, but there's really only so much that one person can do with the time that they have. So the vision that you have for the company is just so big. And the funny thing is, is that mindset shift has to happen in an entrepreneur. Like for me, I'm pretty good at systems, but I hired someone who is really, really awesome at systems, who pays attention to the details. I'm more strategic thinker, visionary, and so I need someone that can really pull up the reins and pull everything that I might be dropping, right? Because I see the vision and I just keep going towards that. And having that mindset shift of going they might be able to do it better than me <laughs> and not only do it better than you, but, but handle it and, and do an amazing, amazing job so that you can do the stuff that you really, really want to do. Entrepreneurship and, and most entrepreneurs in general, unfortunately are like, but I can do it all by myself. And having that first employee, right? If you make a bad hire, <laughs> then you're like, Oh my gosh, this is dumb. Like, you know, worst thing in the world. If you make an incredible hire, then you're like, why didn't I do this sooner? Shoot. You know what I mean? This was so important. And you went through that, right? And so, and you're still going through that, like all entrepreneurs do. As you start building up and building up, you're like, man, I can grow so much better when I have a rock solid team that can really do this stuff. And that's a huge mindset shift for a lot of people, especially coming from being a solopreneur to a being responsible for people and be letting stuff go, <laughs> right? That's one of the hardest things that entrepreneurs can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, and going, you know what? They're doing an amazing job. And yeah, I'll get to Bali later. 
when after I've done some of this stuff and I'll enjoy it even more because I've had even more of an impact on socially on more people, which is insane. Tim Sykes, Tim, I don't know how to introduce you. You are a penny stock trader. You are a heck of a character and I wouldn't even let you say anything before the podcast because I just wanted to start recording because you never know what's going to come out of your mouth next. So uh, Tim, how should we introduce you today? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's good. Uh, lately, I've become a philanthropist. You know, I've donated uh, over $2 million now in the past year and a half. So add that to my bio. That's crazy. That's crazy. So last time, I don't know when last time I saw you, we're both part of the YC Young Entrepreneurs Council. Uh, there was a time that we were in New York and closing down NASDAQ, if you remember that, and had our pictures up in, in Times Square. Uh, that was one of the last times that I saw you. You spoke at an under 30 CEO event, uh, had a lot of interesting things to say. I'm trying to think when the actual last time I saw you was, but uh, anyway, man, how have you been? I've been good. I think it was the last time you had short hair. So I don't know how long it takes to grow hair like that, but it's been a few years. Yeah, it's been a few years for for sure. Are you how where, long have you been growing that thing, man? So <laughs> five, okay, at least so five years since we started under thirty experiences since we started the travel company. But uh, I wouldn't good, even so. be able to grow that. I'm, I'm jealous. If I try to grow that, I just look like a chia pet. My hair just goes straight up. So enjoy, <laughs> enjoy your long hair. You it could do it. Cool. That could be that could be your look. Oh, no, I, I did that once. I, I grew it out one time and then bugs started attacking it thinking that it was a nest. It, it wasn't good. Oh, man, Tim. Are Some you... people just aren't meant to have long hair. That's that's me. Okay. Okay, Tim. You were you were living in Miami. Are you still living? You're traveling all over. I'm checking. I'm out in your Miami Instagram. actually this second, um, but uh, this is my like first week here in like six months. Okay, Tim, are you are you married? Are you single? Tell me some things. I am. I am single. Okay, um, and uh, I am you know really just focused on my business and and focused on teaching more people and, and growing my charity. You know, I've. I've really dedicated my life to that and, and it's not fair to pretty much anybody else because I'm just too obsessive with this. You know, my friends, my family, they're all like, you're a dick, but you know, <laughs> I know what I have to do in life and, and I'm determined. That's, that's awesome. So you started teaching people uh, how to make money, of course, uh, trading. Penny stock still is your focus. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, these low price stocks, um, you know, just trying to pick a few good ones. They're not all scams, but most of them are scams. So I still have to expose a lot and just trying to teach people, you know, how to differentiate between what's good and bad. Okay. And then you started teaching other people how to do this. So you did it with yourself. Your your story is that you took your uh, bar mitzvah money and you turned it into over a million dollars while you were at Tulane University, if I if I remember correctly, and uh, you came out of college, and all of a sudden, you were you were basically a hedge fund manager, and uh, you you did that, and now you're you're teaching other people how to do it, which is uh, which is really interesting. And now you're giving money away. Talk to me a little bit about your evolution, just so people listening can can hear a little bit uh, about yeah. your story. 
Yeah, I've had the the full spectrum, you know, starting with just a few thousand dollars of my bar mitzvah money. Um, I did make nearly two million before I graduated college, started my hedge fund senior year of college, not the smartest thing to do. I was, you know, just too new and, and too cocky and lost roughly 30% of my money trying to invest instead of trade. I didn't realize the value of my trading rules. And then I was kind of depressed and I was on this TV show called Wall Street Warriors, which became a hit like a decade ago. And so now I'm actually celebrating this month, my 10 year anniversary of being a teacher. And I made, you know, several million more too uh, in trading. I'm, I'm closing in on $5 million in profits, but I show every trade. I go back to $12,000 uh, to start with every year and I, I try to grow it and I teach. And, you know, now in the past few years, I have several millionaire students. And because when you create millionaires in this kind of internet world that a lot of people promise big things, but they don't deliver, but I actually do. Uh, my education business is booming. So uh, I've been fortunate enough to make enough money from teaching uh, on top of just trading. And now I started the Timothy Sykes Foundation two years ago. And my goal is to build a thousand schools um, across the world. So far, we have 35 built or in development. And, uh, you know, just trying to do my part charity-wise, teaching-wise, and traveling. You know, me and you, we, we have to have a travel competition because I see your stuff. And, you know, all the while I've been doing this, I haven't been working behind like a desk. Like I've been to 114 countries now. What's your number? Damn, 114 countries. Tim, I have to say I'm not a, a counter, uh, what? but I'm you not even – <laughs> I would – I'm at a fraction of that, I have to say. So you got me, you're crushing me in about, that department. It's not about the numbers. For, exactly. You know, like lately, I haven't even been trying to increase my numbers because I, I keep going back to Japan and Greece and Italy. Like these are my favorites. I just went to Australia for the first time. That was cool. Damn, damn. And, and were you just in Bali? Did I see? Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm in Bali. I'm in. Uh, so in in the past two weeks, I went Bali to my annual conference in Orlando. We had nearly a thousand people this year. Then literally I was just in the US for like four days, flew back to Tokyo for four days for this TV show that I'm doing there. Then over to New York, all in like the past 10 days. Oh my God. How, how do you keep your head on straight? How do you make decisions uh, under that kind of uh, travel schedule? That's crazy. I don't, I don't really know what's going on, uh, but it's it's cool, you know? it's. Uh, <laughs> I, it's, it's fun. It's an adventure trying to, uh, you know, live and, and trade. Um, so sometimes, you know, I do video lessons like in the middle of the night. Sometimes, you know, when I'm in Asia, I'm trading stocks in the middle of the night. So I try to make it as realistic as possible because I want to show you guys, you know, not just about the money that you can make in the market, but just that you can do it from anywhere. And, you know, this is a whole new world where we, I mean, you know, you can podcast from anywhere in the world. I can trade stocks from anywhere in the world. And the technology is only getting better. So we need to do our part and, and try to get more people to realize that this is a revolutionary time. Man, that's that's cool. And tell me more about the philanthropy. I mean, in years past, you were doing things like creating the Miss Penny Stock competition. And you would uh, frequently be spotted in Miami on yachts with models and all sorts of uh entertainment but now you're now you're building schools all over the world and you donated a bunch of money to to i think a million dollars to pencils of promise uh yeah. yeah tell me where did this shift come from 
I've evolved a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still bringing the models everywhere, but instead of just yachts, I actually brought two uh, Instagram models and, and UFC ring girls, uh, Ariane Celeste and Brittany Palmer, over to Bali as we opened up um, two schools. Um, you know, I, I'm not just building schools in my name anymore now. I'm also building schools in my top students' name. So my first two millionaire students uh, were Michael Good and Tim Grittani. So we built schools in their name, and then we had – the models and the ring girls come and, you know, they, they shared their experience and it was fantastic because, you know, their followers actually really liked, you know, not just going to Bali for the exotic locations, but they liked the fact that, you know, we can do something meaningful. Um, and the money goes so far in these third world countries. So one of Ariani's followers, um, had actually been talking with the charity that I build schools with in Bali, the Bali Children's Project. And when he saw it on her Instagram story, um, he then donated a school and a library, which he had not done for several years when they were just talking. So now, you know, I'm, I'm using social media to try to bring kind of new people and new ways of showing off, uh, you know, the charity world because charity is so important. And, you know, after you have enough exotic cars and, and, you know, mansions and yachts and jets and all that crap, I mean, it's fun. I'm not going to lie, but it gets old. You know, I was, I was so excited when I got my first Lamborghini and then my second one, you know, it's still awesome, but I was just, I, I saw there was a clear dip in, you know, the adrenaline. So now I get more adrenaline rushes from, uh, you know, just teaching and, and creating millionaires and now giving, uh, you know, when I go to these schools and I meet the families and the kids who have never had education before, that's an adrenaline rush. So I'm still an adrenaline junkie, but I've just, you know, changed to, to try to still, you know, feel it. And I think it's actually fantastic. So I tweeted last year, um, you know, my, my charity stuff, I always share it on social media, but it's, it does like the worst, like people will still want to see the glamorous stuff. Sure. So I, I tweeted it and I was like, you know, here's my first school. Uh, this was, I guess, two years ago now uh, in Bali or a year and a half. And my first school had opened there. Now we have nearly a dozen schools in Bali. But when my first school was opening, and it was just such an awesome time. And, you know, I'm holding up my iPhone. I'm, I'm videoing it so that my followers can kind of experience it with me. And I said, retweet this. And for every retweet, you know, I'll build another school. And usually my charity stuff gets like 20, 30 retweets. So I was like, oh, that'll be a good goal. You know, I'll <laughs> Each, each of these schools is like $50,000. I think I can donate, you know, maybe a million, maybe a million and a half over, over time. And instead, the thing went viral. It's my most popular tweet ever. It's got 2,000 retweets. <laughs> uh, and so I was like, you know what? Like, this is a good, good thing. So now I'm, I'm on the hook to build thousands of schools. And, you know, so if I build 2,000 schools at 50,000 50, a pop, um, it's quite a bit of money. You know, it's, it's 50 to 100 million dollars. But it's, it's good. You know, I, I try to uphold all my promises and pinky swears and Twitter promises. So that's going to be my new goal over the next few years. Good for you. That's, that's awesome. I'm looking at your, uh, at one of your pictures on Instagram. And so people get the idea if they don't already follow you, you have a million Instagram followers. So this is, this is not like you sent this to your, uh, 700 followers and said, Oh yeah, anybody who retweets this uh i'll donate money i mean that was a you rolled the dice on that one but i'm well first i looked at your 
project, and of course my lizard my lizard brain went and clicked uh, the females that you brought over there with you, these models from uh, the UFC and wherever else. But then I did have the presence of mind to click the back button and then look at the the charities that you're supporting. How did you pick uh, like this Bali's? Bali Children's Project. How did you pick Bali? Was it the place that you had a connection with? Uh, yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, I work with dozens of charities now. Pencils of Promise is is my favorite. Uh, that's why I donated a million dollars because they just have you know the most structure and organization. They're using Salesforce. Like it's not just building random schools. It's also about operating them and you know optimizing the the children's education too. So the money doesn't just go to schools. It goes to build like buying tablets and you know teacher education, making them better teachers. Um, the Bali Children's Project. Uh, I'm trying to think how I got introduced to them. Uh, you know, uh, I, I can't even remember. I, I know I got introduced to the Cambodian Village Fund uh, by my buddy Neil. Uh, Neil Patel uh, built a school in Cambodia and he posted it and I was like, wow, that's cool. So let me do that. So I built a school uh, next to Neil's school that, and my school is three times larger than his. So <laughs> I just I had to be competitive. And now I'm actually going back to Cambodia in a few weeks uh, for the opening of my soccer stadium. Um, this, this town is just going to have everything. They don't even have an airport. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a city, but it's tough to get to. So I'm just going all out in Cambodia and Bali, you know, I've visited several times there. Um, it's one of my favorite places to visit. So I wanted to help. Um, and we actually found this, uh, you know, one great charity, the Bali children's project that didn't have much funding. Um, so I was like, Hey, let me donate $25,000 at first. And, I always start with like a, a reasonable, like I don't just go big at first. I start with a reasonable amount, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars, and I see how the charity does and, and you know how they build, how they utilize it. Um, and they did did well. So now I've donated uh, like two hundred thousand to the Bali Children's Project. And you know, when you go to these schools, I'll I'll invite you to any one of these trips. I mean, pretty much every single trip that I go on, I have a different school opening. Um, even in Japan, I, you know, they don't need schools. I asked around, uh, but they have great charities. Um, I found this one charity called Ark that finds foster homes for dogs. Um, so I visited them and I met so many cute puppies and they do such crazy research when, you know, people can't just have a dog. Like you don't know who they're going to be. You don't know how they're going to treat the dog. So they do all this thorough testing. So the dog like gets a full, uh, you know, health checkup at first. Then two weeks later, uh, with this you know potential host family, they do another health checkup and they see how the dog is around the people. And then after three or six months, the people can get approved to be the foster parents. So there's so many great causes all over the world, and I'm just going to keep uh, keep trying. You know, I just donated uh, to uh, two different food banks in Houston for the Houston flooding victims, um, and I also just donated to Save the Children, a hundred thousand uh, dollars to help kids in Mexico and Puerto Rico. So. It's really, you know, my honor, and it's not just adrenaline. I, you know, I, adrenaline is good, but it's also just my honor, and it, and it just feels good. You know, this makes all the money that I make and all my hard work really, you know, take it to the next level. That's great. That that's really cool, and I I appreciate that uh, you're talking about things like pencils of promise, and. I mean, that's a really legitimate organization. As you mentioned, they're using Salesforce to track uh, their leads. And, you know, you'd never want to just give a huge sum of money away to a charity that's going to just turn around and uh, put it in their pockets. And, you know, corruption in these countries is, is or, so big. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, also, or marketing expenses. So all, all of these charities that I donate to are, are pretty much U.S.-based. Um, you know, there's a lot of U.S. people who go to these countries and they fall in love with the locals. And so they're running it. You know, it's, it's very tough to try to work uh, with a language barrier and, you know, customs barrier and, and technology barriers uh, in these countries. So I find pretty much Americans who work in these countries. Um, but, you know, it's not just about corruption. It's about efficiency. You know, there's a lot of charities out there where you donate money and they have massive, massive marketing budgets and very little actually goes to, you know, your desired cause. So that's why I love Pencils of Promise because they have such a low operating budget. They have so many volunteers. They're so efficient and really, you know, operated kind of like a, like a cutthroat organization. And, and that's what you have to be to be successful in the charity world. I mean, there are so many people to help and you have to be as efficient as possible with the donor's money. That's uh, that. That's really great to to hear. I've, I'm getting distracted now. I'm looking at a picture of. Uh, I assume this is your hand with your gold watch in uh, in Tokyo, f- feeding a chinchilla with hashtag Jewchilla. Yes, I always do uh, one Jewish hashtag at the end of every post. You know, I just got a new McLaren, so I call it a Jewclaren. You know, if I'm in the jungle in Bali, I'm like you know Indiana Jones or Jews in the jungle. You know, if I'm looking at a beautiful beach on a mountain, then it's Jews with views, um, you know, or Jews in the news if I get some press. So I have fun with social media. You know, some people get offended and I'm like, what are you getting offended at? It's a freaking hashtag. It's not even a real thing. Um, you know, I'm not even like a hardcore Jew. I'm more like Jew-ish. <laughs> That's, uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you're not taking things too, too seriously there. And, and I also appreciate that. Uh, so many people, not to over, not to generalize here, but so many people on on Wall Street are so wrapped up in their own things, and you know, if you're just trading, uh, if people are just trading options among themselves and pumping up uh, the stock prices on things, and a lot of times people can easily fall into the trap of not actually creating any value in the world. Um, so I'm glad that you're, you're taking this and, you know, in wall street, you talk about main street all the time, but you're now you're talking about places like Indonesia and Cambodia. And, uh, you know, they don't even have a main street in, in some of these little villages. So it's cool what you're doing. It's great to see your evolution, Tim. And I am here with my good friend, Brent B. Shore. Brent is the founder of AdVentures. He has made 50 investments in early and late stage companies. And I wanted to talk to Brent uh, really about the mindset of valuing entrepreneurs, of probably evaluating himself, probably <laughs> evaluating uh, people that you come across in everyday life, Brent. I think you have a pretty good intuition and uh, probably a pretty good handle on, on things. And uh, I just wanted to let everybody know that I consider you a freak of nature, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I'll take the uh, freak of nature as a, as a good thing. Uh, sometimes I think my wife would say not such a good thing, but yes. Well, you, uh, you're certainly doing a lot. You are up in wine country in Oregon right now, it, it sounds like. We were, just, uh, we were just catching up off camera, and uh, you said you were, doing a lot, you were doing a lot of work while you were on vacation. Is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah that's correct. Uh, it's always a mixture of uh, business and pleasure. I think that the uh, uh, you know, people that try to separate the two uh, end up failing in one or the other, so I just kind of mix and match as, as it works out. 
So kind of changing gears because your the point of life to you is not necessarily to uh, to be an elite athlete or to be on such a regimented diet that you never have any fun in life. Yep. What? So you okay? So so you do all this stuff, and then what does that what does that fuel in your opinion? Meaning. Um, Obviously, you have your business. Obviously, you have your, your family and the sure. fun stuff that you like to do. But where, where do you go? Now you have your baseline and uh, you have this part of your life, uh, quote unquote, taken care of, you know, to, to you're paying attention to it. And, that, and now what? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, to me, um, what I'm trying to achieve is to do what I love in, in a place that I enjoy with people that I admire. Right. That's kind of my my slogan that that. Um, it really, I think you can't go wrong if you do those things. And so I'm very fortunate. Um, I've, I've started businesses. I've bought businesses, sold businesses. Um, I've just always been, since I was a small child, like I've just been obsessed with capitalism and really interested in, in the wonderful things it can bring. I was a um, poverty studies um, uh, uh, minor, I guess you could call it, in college. Uh, it was one of the first classes to actually have that designation. And uh, I'm really interested in how um, the capitalist system, you know, the profit motive in particular, um, can lead to extremely positive um, changes for, for a lot of people, which, you know, um, I don't know if it's somewhat unpopular uh, today to, to hold that viewpoint. But, um, you know, my, my entire career uh, has been based around um, solving problems, um, for, um, you know, customers and, um, trying to partner with people that I really enjoy working with. And, and I've been successful and not successful at, at, at all those things at various points in my career. Um, you know, it's, it, it's easy from the outside to look at, uh, somebody's career trajectory and say, oh, wow, he's been successful or, you know, whatever that, that means. Um, and it's never a straight line. So, you know, I don't know in terms of the average age of your, of your listener base, but, um, you know, I think for the most part, everyone's living other people's highlight reels. Um, you know, and my, and my wife and I joke, and this is the same thing on the business side, but my wife and I joke that the, uh, there's a directly inverse, re, uh, uh, relationship between how much you praise your spouse on Facebook and what your relationship's actually like. <laughs> Um, you know, we have, we have friends that, you know, they'll be like, oh, happy birthday to the love of my life. It's been a wonderful three years, blah, blah, blah. And, and just last week they were telling us, you know, that, that they were thinking about getting a divorce, right? Like, wow. you know, it, so I think that, you know, business-wise is the same way. Um, you know, I hit the quote-unquote young entrepreneur circuit pretty hard early in my career. I've been at this for, gosh, pushing eight eight plus years now. Um, and, uh, you know, early on got some notoriety and, you know, as Matt, obviously under 30 CEO, I mean, you know, as the under 30 crowd, I mean, got some notoriety and I, you know, a lot of those people that were talking the biggest games back then, uh, a lot of those people are out of business. Right. Sure. And so just, you know, just being aware of, of, you know, everyone has a playbook they're talking, and me included, right? Um, but everyone has a playbook that that they're that they're talking through, and and not to get too swept up in other people's games. I mean, I think Matt, that's one thing I admire most about you is you know you've just said, hey, I want to do what I love, and I love traveling, and I love interacting with young people and helping them in any way I can. And I mean, God, man, that's that's perfect, right? Like everyone's got to find their own path. So, um, you know, as long as I can continue to do what I love. Um, and uh, do it in places that I enjoy with people that I admire and appreciate, um, then I'm, I'm good to go. That's awesome, and I, I appreciate that, Brent. I think 
Sometimes just uh, holding your, actually being disciplined to only opening up Facebook once or twice a day, or you know, <laughs> you know, the Inc. Thirty Under Thirty comes out. Well, guess what? I didn't actually read it this year. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know who's on there, and, um, and and sometimes that's okay because then you you know you're always chasing what everybody else wants as opposed exactly. to to what you really want so that's exactly. uh yeah, it's no, that's like really... yes right oh, like like course. if you look at the past like if you look at the ink 30 under 30 like i know a bunch of those people and there's some incredibly awesome thoughtful successful people there's also a bunch of pretenders on that every year right like it's not like just because some magazine somehow like deems people to be successful like you need to use your own judgment there's plenty of people with lots of money that are idiots and there's plenty of people that have almost no money that are brilliant and they're awesome people i mean so much of life is is luck. I mean, it just is, right? Like I, I look at everything that we've ever done that quote unquote has been successful and it feels like luck has played a, an enormous part, right? And luck on the downside too, when we've gotten unlucky, but, but you know, all you can do is just keep putting yourself in a position to, to, to be successful. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and I think that's where, you know, really redefining what successful means, um, you know, to stay sane is really important. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And um, for me, I just had to kind of remove myself from that whole, uh, from that whole situation, from the whole, all the pretentiousness and all of the, um, you know, the, the glitz and glamour, especially in New York and where everybody, everybody is involved in the different media outlets, et cetera. And it's just a bunch of people making a bunch of fluff and yep. most of the money isn't theirs it you know isn't actually theirs anyway they just yeah. raised it on a big valuation and and are running around uh <laughs> you know and are running around with it and, and that's fine but i had to go to the jungle for a couple of years Brent. yeah yeah well i think it's probably good and plus i mean after reading that vanity fair article about tinder i'm just surprised people can do anything besides uh just play around on tinder and have sex all day so jeez oh, well uh <laughs> You know, we're going to move on from we're going to move on from that one. But uh, I wanted to get back to what you said about capitalism and how it can be a really uh, a really good thing and how it can be looked at as a little bit of a dirty, a dirty word. But you studied when you did this poverty study. Was this in um, was this in South Africa where you went to school? No, no, that was uh, that I, I went to. I studied international law in South Africa. That was okay. awesome. Um, no, I went to a school called Washington and Lee in Lexington, Virginia, um, which is little known, but it's a really amazing school. Um, ninth oldest school in the nation, the oldest non-Ivy. And, um, I, you know, coming from Joplin, Missouri, growing up, I went there because, uh, well, two reasons it had produced the most presence and CEOs of any school in the nation. And, um, it was the year that I went the number two party school in the nation. Um, so okay. I uh, uh, I was looking for a combination of good social experience and uh, to hopefully set my career up uh, to be um, well, to be extraordinary, um, which I don't know how much you know. It's tough to link different things together, um, but uh, um, but yeah, I, uh, um, I I got a great education. I met a, a, a really a mentor of mine named Harlan Beckley. Um, I finished uh, all my major requirements at the end of my sophomore year, so I basically had two years to uh, major in college, 
and um, ended up taking an introduction to poverty uh, class and uh, just really fell in love with um, the ability to marshal resources and the complexity of the subject, right? You talk about an incredibly complicated uh, topic, which apparently everyone has an opinion on, and very few people have actually done the work to justify that opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, rural poverty being so different than urban poverty and, and, you know, how much of it is the choices you make and how much of it is the, is the uh, environment you're brought up in and, you know, just all those things. Uh, it's just complicated, right? Just, I mean, people are, people are complicated and, and poverty is no different. Um, so, uh, you know, it really opened my eyes. One of the nice things I, <laughs> you know, ashamed to say, I, I thought, oh my gosh, all that, you know, the poverty program's got to be a bunch of, you know, super liberal, uh, you know, uh, type people that are, you know, just, just trying to stick it to the man and all that. And they couldn't have been more opposite. I mean, the, the gentleman, uh, that I, that became my mentor, Harlan Beckley was, um, you know, just so balanced and so thoughtful about the goods, you know, the good and the bad side of business and, uh, and, you know, how it can really contribute to, uh, to a better world. So it was a really great experience. That's, that's really cool. And if, if somebody is listening and wants to, uh, maybe get involved in a capitalist project or or social entrepreneurship project um, and they are evaluating an idea maybe that they have or a uh, organization that they'd like to get involved with what is you know what should they kind of kind of look for because there are there's I don't want to say there's a right way and a wrong way to to do it um, but a lot of you know a lot of the a lot of these systems are flawed. So I'm curious in your uh, in your opinion, what are some of the the models that are are working? Yeah, you know, I've gone back and forth on this. Um, I uh, there was a period of time in my life where I, um, you know, I thought that that businesses should be very um, altruistically focused and have a social mission. And I got to be honest, I've seen so many of those businesses flame out and they just didn't have the economics to be sustainable. Um, I also think it's really dangerous. You know, an organization is a collection of people and every everybody's going to have a different um, passion and a different focus. And it's really hard. I'm not saying this is universal, but I'm just saying in general, um, it's really hard to get 50 people or 30 people or even 10 people to sort of be of the mindset that we're working day in and day out to support the same social cause. Um, and especially as people evolve throughout their lives, right? Uh, you know, people get more interested and less interested in things. So I, I got to be honest, where I've come down is that the, the best thing you can do to support your the cause that you feel passionate about that, um, it, and this even extends to like sort of the entrepreneurial community building as well, the most successful way that you can support that is just to be successful yourself, right? I mean, to have resources that you can deploy uh, into things that you feel strongly about. And so, you know, I, I, I've talked to quite a few people who, who it feels like they're like, oh, well, I want to do this business, but we're going to tack on this social component, right, to it. And that's what's going to make it awesome, right? So, like, we're going to do ticketing, but instead of just general, like, ticketing, we're going to ticket with every dollar from every ticket goes to support a charity. And it's like, that's just not, like, it's just not, I don't think a very sustainable and good way to do things. I think that if you want to be excellent at ticketing, uh, right, I'm talking about like, you know, uh, concert ticketing or whatever, right, that type of thing. If you want to be excellent at that, like, be the best in the world at that thing. Um, Do really, really well. Treat your employees really well. Like, be a beacon of, of what you want to see in the world, 
but also make money and use that money in whichever way. I mean, that's the owner's prerogative, right? That's what that's what allows capitalism to be successful is you can direct resources, uh, you know, however you think. Um, and so, you know, I would I would encourage anybody who's out there is thinking about, you know, sort of social cause type thing. Uh, I would say either go and work directly for a not-for-profit in that space and sort of dedicate your life to, to, to really solving that issue that way, like through your labor, or um, go and make money and then deploy those resources towards whatever you feel like uh, is the change you want to see in the world. I think when you get in the middle between those two things, I think it gets really squishy and complicated. And, um, yeah, I, I see a lot of issues with that, so... Hmm, may not be may not be a popular opinion, but that's, that's no. I mean, it, it. it's uh, it, it, you've certainly put some thought into it, and I'm staring uh, at I'm staring at a bag of to, of Tom's Roasting Company's uh, <laughs> coffee, which I didn't even know that they had. Um, but it's you know it's another interesting example, and and in my opinion, as long as as long as you're trying to do something good in the world for the right reasons, then that's. Uh, to me, that's what's important. Um, sure. You know, if you're like, oh, we're going to do this one-for-one one model, and well, we're going to make ninety. You know, we're going to make ninety-nine percent of the money, and then we're going to throw a couple pennies to uh, whomever who looks disadvantaged, so that we look good. Well, that's right. clearly not the right way to well, to do it. Right, and I think there's also the law of unintended consequences. Right. Sure. I mean, I think you know this has been this has been pretty well um, demonstrated by like Tom Shoes being a good example of that, right? Um, I mean, that the, there's a lot of good things that Tom's did, and there's also some things that were, you know, unintended that were the repercussions that put a lot of people out of business that say we're making shoes in the region they deployed shoes to, um, that actually, you know, had negative ramifications on the local economy and on the people. And um, so, you know, I, I, I think, again, you got to be really careful. It's so easy, um, unfortunately, if we're talking about the United States, to be, you know, sort of mostly white and mostly privileged, especially in the historical context, to be, you know, oh, we know better. We'll just give people shoes. Like, that's awesome, right? Um, I think in reality, when the rubber meets the road, it's just a lot more complicated than that. And not to say that Tom Shoes is a bad organization by any means. It's not. It's fantastic. It's just there's a lot of, you know, a lot of unintended consequences um, that it's, it's, it's easy to say, you know, kind of fly at 30,000 feet and not see the complexity. No, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I don't think Tom's is, is all bad necessarily either. Uh, of course, there's the argument that nobody ever died because they didn't have shoes. Well, that's, right. probab that's probably true, and they're probably sure. right, more altruistic. But haters are going to hate, and people are going are gonna to say my altruistic cause is better than your altruistic cause and uh, Monday morning quarterbacks and, <laughs> and all of that. Today we have Greg Roulette, an old friend of mine, uh, someone who I worked on a project in the very early days of Under 30 CEO with, someone that I'm looking forward to catching up mo uh, more with, but he is the uh, president of the Ambitious Media Group. He is an expert in marketing and PR, and uh, a guy who, in my opinion, just really gets what, what young people uh, are trying to wrap their head around with the direction of our 
of our lives and our generation, and he's trying to spread positivity through ambitious.com. And uh, Greg, I'm looking forward to diving into a couple of these topics. Definitely, man. He, he just really looking forward to catching up, man. It's been a fun, uh, fun few years for both of us, and uh, it's exciting to get back together. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, I think we should we should start back where we where we left off um, at the Rockstar Business Series, as we <laughs> called it. And uh, so you had you had your thing going with uh, Roulette Marketing, I think, at the time. And Jared and I had were just in the very early days of under30ceo.com. Um, pretty much had just graduated school and started getting some notoriety for this website. And uh, I think that you were a contributor, um, or we just, at, at the time, honestly, we just knew everybody who was young and, and wrote yeah. a blog. I mean, this is 2008, 2009. We just knew who else was on the scene, right? Yeah, it, it was funny. So yeah, you guys were, were under 30 CEOs starting to gain some steam. I probably wrote an article or two for you. I was a uh, quick Cliff Notes version is I was a, a rapper in a rock band, toured the country, did cool stuff. When that ended, um, I started teaching musicians marketing. And so um, my niche was music marketing. So I had products and membership sites and all this stuff uh, for musicians. And I was trying to get more into the general business you know, world instead of just being in the, in the music niche. And I, I you guys, and I was like, hey, um, I know how to make products and stuff because I'm doing them with these people. We, we, I'm starting to build a list. You guys have some cool stuff going on. What if we uh, we did something together? And you guys were crazy enough to say yes. And uh, it was super awesome because I, I think we actually, the cool thing was we sold it before we even made the thing. And we kind of did the thing live over like four Ustreams. Like you did one, uh, Jared did one, I did one. I think the fourth one, we just kind of did a Q&A together. Um, the, we didn't have like thousands of people buy, but like the people loved it. And some of those people that, that bought that course are like rock stars now, um, which is really cool. Probably not just because of us, probably just because they were rock stars. But uh, yeah. dude, it, but it was um, it, it was super cool. We both kind of just took a risk, took a chance to see what this whole you know world is about. And, and uh, it, it was super fun and and from there i mean both of us have have done some really cool stuff yeah it's it's funny i I remember our conversation um because you know we were both building building our brands and that's what jared and i were really doing we took the summer after after college and we we just said okay uh, how do we build this site we don't know anything about we don't know anything about social media it was a much different landscape we don't know anything about blog and we didn't know much about the internet other than there was a way to make money on there and it didn't it made uh, it made sense that we wouldn't have to get real jobs so we were <laughs> we were kind of like in that hustle phase where we just build build what we can and we weren't really sure how we were going to monetize it and i remember having a conversation with you and and uh, you're you're a few years older than than uh, both Jared and I, but you're like, so how are you guys gonna make money off of this thing? Do you guys, you know, do you have any ideas? And we're like, mm, no, not really. <laughs> and you were, like, <laughs> you were like, all right, well, how about you know? He, you were like, hey, here's how we make money, and that kind of became our our gateway into how we started doing more consulting. And um, but we had some really kick-ass seminars, and I, I like how you said. Uh, that you mentioned that we didn't even build the product. We basically said, okay, let's sell this thing. Let's tell them what we're going to make for them, but without taking the risk of actually building the hours and hours of content that we that we gave them in this info product. And uh, it really worked out well. I mean, it was an amazing test. 
Yeah, and, and I think that that's what a lot of people, if you're listening to this and you're kind of just getting started, that's where you get stuck is like you spend, I don't know, six months, a year, two years, like writing the perfect book or creating the perfect course or, you know, planning the best, you know, trip or experience, whatever it is. Um, but you forget about the fact that you need to sell the thing and you forget to build an audience and you forget to listen to them and what they want. And, you know, we get so caught up in creating, like, I'm a really good guitar player. So I'm going to build the best guitar course ever without knowing like who your audience is and what they really want. Like, do they want to learn to play like Jimi Hendrix with the guitar over their head? Or do they just want to learn to, you know, play the first three chords so they can impress a chick and, and get a date, you know? And, um, so what we did is, is we, we didn't, the, the product was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we launched it first. We found out what our people wanted and we kind of just made it for them. And, and it was really conversational and it was over like these live streams. It was probably Ustream or something like that. And, um, the people loved it because they got to go through the course creation process with us and we got to create it based on their needs. And I think they got better results from it versus the person who, all right, I'm going to spend 12 months making the best course ever. And then they launch it and it's not what their people wanted. And, and so that's, that's a really valuable lesson to, uh, to everybody listening right now is that, you know, uh, perfectionism, it, it, while it's, while you don't want your product to be bad, you know, if you're trying to make it perfect, you're probably missing the bigger opportunity, which is just to serve your marketplace. They forgive you for the ums and the ahs. They forgive you if you like, you know, slip up for a little bit or, or you know, say the wrong thing and you have to retract a little bit. They, they forgive you if you're genuine and you actually want to care and, and you want to help people. And I think, Matt, that, that's what that's what you I, and Jared did is we actually cared about the people that purchased this thing. The other thing is back then, when I mean, it was the first time you guys were making money and it was one of the first courses I created in the business world. It's like I, I really wanted these people to get good results. You know, like I really genuinely cared about them. Like it was your brand. Like if it went sour, like people weren't going to come back and read under 30 CEO or, or whatever the site that I was promoting at the time. So a really valuable lesson there for you guys when you're just getting started out is, you know, let the market dictate what you build and what you create. And the, the cool thing was if, if no one bought it, which thankfully they did, um, we didn't have to create the products and we, we got it. We could have just, you know, moved on to the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. And what we made up for, you know, we shot the thing on a, on a flip cam. You remember the flip cam which <laughs> was like this fly by night company, billion, billion. I don't know how much that company sold for, but a ton of money because they had this little piece of hardware where you could all of a sudden take something out of your pocket and record a, record a video. It was like, the things were amazing. And anyway, we, we, we recorded a bunch of flip cam videos and, but it was okay. We asked, we, what we made up for, uh, not having everything be perfect was, with our community and with the, the fact that we really cared, like you said, and that we'd stay we'd stay on UStream until twelve o'clock at night with our with our community while they did Q and A while they were trying to figure out the the tricky social media landscape and uh, what and helping them develop their brand and helping them develop what they wanted to stand for and so we went through all of these things but we kind of we did it a little bit on the fly but it was it was okay to. It was okay to do that because we knew we knew we could deliver really solid value, uh, but yeah, we just we listened. That's the big part that people the, that people miss. You need to listen to to what your market really wants because anytime I've ever created a product that was for me, it just has not worked. 
Yeah, and, and we, we forget that, right? Because, again, I'm a great guitar player. I want to teach them the guitar playing that I know, right? But if you don't have hundreds or thousands of people that want that. And so every business that I've created since then has been because the market has dictated it. So I became a partner at the Celebrity Branding Agency. I'm a partner Nick Nanton and, and J.W. Dix. And they brought me in because of a problem that they had with their clients is these people would become best-selling authors and kind of go through their program. And they're like, well, what do you do after that? I got my book. What do I do? And so they brought me in to fulfill a need of, well, now you need to market your book. Maybe you want to create info products based on your book. Maybe you need book launch campaigns. And so every company that I've created, you know, for the last six, seven years has been a result of letting the market dictate what's the next product that we offer. And it's great because then you have instant clients. Right, which which I like. I like creating cash flow as quick as possible. You know, instead of being in that waiting game, instead of waiting. All right, well, I'm going to wait until this happens. I think a lot of people get stuck in the. All right, I'm going to lose weight after the holidays because I know I'm going to eat like crap at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and so so I'm going to wait till the new year. And then the new year comes around, and you're like, ah, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to give it a week or two to get back in the groove. And then you're like, ah, oh, but it's St. Patrick's Day. You know, and all of a sudden it's like summertime, and you forgot to lose weight. The same thing's true in business. You're like, ah, I'm going to start blogging. When I get that bonus check so I can go get WordPress and go pay someone to, you know, design my site all pretty instead of the guy who just goes and like, you know what, I'm going to go get a free WordPress template and go get some some cheap posting and I'm just going to start blogging and I'm going to build this community and I'm not going to wait until I get that bonus check. Then when I get that bonus check, guess what? I'm going to make the site better and I'm going to invest in it. I'm investing some advertising, but you've already kind of built the platform. And so if you want that life, if you want to, like like the title of the podcast is Live Differently. If you want to live differently, you have to, to think differently, but more importantly, you have to act differently. You can't wait for that one magic moment when I get that bonus check or when I have that day off or when I, after the holidays get through, like you, you got to have that mindset of, look, I'm going to start this thing now. I, I kick myself in the face all the time on this, this podcasting thing. I started a podcast for one of our product development companies and it was, it was maybe three years ago or so. So we were kind of right at the, the tipping point when podcasts were really getting popular. And I kick myself in the face now that I'm just like, dude, if I was doing this every week since then, I'd have like 400 episodes. I would be like the gorilla in the market. You know, sure. like I, I would be, I would be destroying everyone. And it's all just because like, you know, we just kept doing it and we kept doing it. And, you know, so my, my advice really everyone listening is don't wait for that golden moment or that golden opportunity. Like if you want to live differently, it's up to you to act differently in order to have that. Yeah, absolutely. And the consistency part is the is the big deal. And, and trust me, I mean, this is probably our 20th episode of the podcast and it's only, you know, it's only been around for a few months, but you got to you got to know what you're you need to be committed to be able to do something like this. You need to have have discipline. I mean, we had over we've had over 4000 articles up on under30ceo.com that didn't that didn't happen overnight but we just developed a system where it be, just began to work and uh, but yeah the the most important part just to start to take the leap which was a lot of what we talked about in our rockstar business series was how you actually do this how to build a landing page and of course all the tools all the tips and all the tricks have changed right since the back of the stuff or the uh, the back of the <laughs> the book and when you read the four hour work week right he gave all those kind of resources in the back of the book right and now most of them are probably irrelevant i think he he redid the book uh, tim ferris if if you haven't ever read it um but 
all of these things, I mean, you can just go online and find a website template and build just like the most core. So we use Strikingly, right? Strikingly.com. Um, it's a, a Y Combinator company. Some friends of mine, we were really early, we were really early users of their software. But our first trip, all we did was get a really nice picture from Iceland and put put it on this strikingly.com website and it was an opt-in and it said, do you want more information about trip to Iceland uh, on these dates over Memorial Day weekend in, I don't know, 2012, I think. Put your email in here and we started building a list and we had a business right away. We had leads. So that's, I mean, just getting, just starting, just figuring out how to do that, taking that little tiny leap is, uh, is well worth it. I mean, that's, that's, that's what you have to do. You're 100% spot on, man, 